excuse me, as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, the day is now nearly over. So he went in, and he stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning with us while we were talking to us on the way? While he was opening the scriptures to us, that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon, as they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Well, good morning, everyone. So glad that you're here. And I just want to begin off with just a, just a quick warning. Um, those of you might know that I have my wisdom, tooth taken out, wisdom teeth taken out on Tuesday. So just a quick warning. As I've been kind of uh, practicing preaching this week, I've noticed that because my wisdom teeth are gone, I de- develop a little bit more saliva. So I just want to warn you, if you're sitting in the front two rows, you're kind of in the splash zone. So I trust that you got your complimentary poncho when you walked in. Um, so just, just, just a warning for you. You also uh, no, we're so glad that you're here. Um, I trust that you had a great Easter uh, last week with your family um, to celebrate the resurrection with your, your friends and family. Um, last week, we, we kind of ended a pretty long series that's kind of carried us through a lot of Lent um, called Grace Revealed. We look, we've been looking at the life of Jesus, and we've been looking at how grace was revealed in Jesus and who he was and what he did. And last week, Travis uh, preached on how Jesus is our good shepherd, and I trust that you, that spoke to you. Um, but this week we're going to be starting a new series that's entitled Look. It's entitled Look. And it's in this series that we're going to be an- exploring this question of where do you look? In the different times and different circumstances, different situations of your, time, of your life, where do you look? Where are you placing your eyes? I, we have to realize that where we look in our different circumstances, where we place our eyes is important. Do you believe that's important this morning? If you don't believe it's important, watch this video and tell me if you're not convinced. It is maddening for everyone else. It is an epidemic, texting while walking. And tonight, one town is saying it's time to level fines against people who walk into the streets, heads down, everybody else trying to dodge them. And new videos show it is more than just a nuisance. Here's ABC's Dan Harris. Texting and walking, that thoroughly modern epidemic. Look at this guy walk into a wall. Or this woman walk into a mall water fountain. And check this out, a bear on the loose, and this man texting almost walks right into him. The videos are funny, but the problem is serious. According to the most recent numbers, more than 1,000 people went to emergency rooms because they got hurt while walking and distracted on the phone. Double the year before, which was double the year before that. Bonnie Miller walked off this pier into Lake Michigan and had to be rescued by the Coast Guard. I couldn't let pride stand in my way of warning other people, you know, to not drive and text or walk and text. It can be dangerous. Where we look is important. Just ask Bonnie. She walked off a pier into Lake Michigan, okay? She, was, she walked off a pier because she was looking down at her phone. Over a thousand people were injured because they were looking at their phone. Where we place our eyes, where we look is important, right? And that's what this series is gonna, be, is gonna cover. Where are we looking? And, and t- today we're gonna be asking this question. Where 
are we looking? Where do we look in our times of discouragement? When we're discouraged, where are we looking? I think too often after Resurrection Sunday, after Easter, I think too often we kind of um, move on afterwards. We don't really see the, uh, we don't look at the stories that occur right after Jesus rose from the dead. We tend to kind of skip over those. But I think that we can find hope in, in the stories that follow after the resurrection. So this Sunday and next Sunday, we're gonna be looking at those stories that occur right after the resurrection and see um, what it, where we're supposed to be looking. So this week, we're gonna be looking in Luke chapter four, 24. So you can go ahead and flip those there in your Bible. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. And just before this verse that we're gonna be looking at today, the women had just went to Jesus' tomb um, to, to put spices on the body and they found the stone rolled away and Jesus' body missing. Amen, aren't you glad about that fact? It was missing. And then all of a sudden, two angels appeared to them, right? And they tell them that Jesus is not here, he is risen. And it's with those three words that our Christian hope is now founded because Christ is no longer dead, but he is risen. And so they go back and they tell the 11 disciples what had happened, what they had found, that Jesus' body was gone and they met the angels. And a lot of the disciples are kind of skeptical, but good old uh, faithful Peter, he must have had some suspicion that what these women said were true because he runs back to the tomb and finds that what the women were saying was indeed true. And it's then right after, right after Peter goes and visits the tomb, Scripture in Luke kind of diverges into a different story. So we cut from Peter and we look at someone completely different. We look at two disciples who are walking on the road to the city of Emmaus. These two disciples weren't with the original 11 that we had just seen. Two different disciples walking on the, the road to the city. And that's where Scripture cuts to. So let's look at what's happening to these two disciples. In Luke 24, verse 13, I'm going to be reading from the NRSV and that's what's on the screen. It goes like, it says this. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about the things that had happened. And while they were talking, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you are walking along? They stood still, looking sad. So here we are in Luke 24, and the focus has kind of shifted to these two disciples, and they're walking along, and they have somehow missed out on the good news along with the other 11 disciples. Here we are on Easter Sunday. Christ has risen just that morning. The world as we know it has been changed forever. The Christian hope is now founded in a risen Savior, and that his followers have failed to see it. And more than that, Scripture tells us that these two disciples are sad. They're discouraged. Their Savior has been killed, and he's been buried, and what's more, his body is now missing. They are sad, they are discouraged, and some translations even say they are downcast. And I think that each of us can kind of relate to these disciples. Each of us knows what it's like to be discouraged. We know, we know what it's like to lose hope. We know what it's like to miss out, to strike out. We know what it's like to be downcast. And even some of you in this room, even now, can testify to the fact that when you came into church this morning, you had the weight of discouragement and disappointment heavy upon your shoulders. And I think that in times of discouragement, it's when we get discouraged that we as humans tend to do certain things. When we're discouraged, we're naturally inclined to do certain things. And we're going to be looking at these disciples in this scripture to look at what we tend to do as the perfect examples of what we tend to do when we're discouraged. And it's when we do these different things that our faith in God tends to be compromised. When we do different things that we tend to do when we're discouraged, our faith in God tends to be compromised by what we do. So we're gonna look at what we tend to do in this passage. In times of discouragement, the first thing that we tend to do is we tend 
to reason. Look at verse 13. Look at what they're doing. Now on the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. So here we find the disciples. They're walking along on the road, and they're just trying to make sense of what's going on. They're trying to figure out what happened. They're talking about what happened, about how Jesus was crucified, how he was killed, even though he had done nothing wrong. They're talking about how he was dead and how he was buried, and now three days later, he's nowhere to be found. That's what they're talking about, and they're trying to make sense of it. They're trying to reason out what happened, what is going on, what are they to do next, and none of it makes sense. The disciples, through their conversation, they're almost trying to reason themselves out of discouragement. If they can just make sense of what's happening, then they won't be discouraged anymore. There has to be something that we're missing. What if Jesus wasn't who he said he was? What, what if he really wasn't dead when we put him in the tomb? What if, what if someone stole his body? And they were attempting to reason out what happens with the hope that they can find some kind of hope in the seemingly discouraging story they found themselves in. And I believe that some, so many times we tend to do the same exact thing. We try to reason our way out of our situation. We try to make sense of our circumstances in which we find ourselves. We try to logically make the pieces fit. Why is this happening to me? Why, is, why am I going through this? What am I going to do? And we try to find happiness and hope by way of reason. And if you're like me, when you go through difficult circumstances, your mind is constantly racing. You can't sleep because you're always thinking about what's going on in your life. You're asking yourself questions over and over and over again. How are we going to make ends meet? What are we going to do tomorrow? How are we going to make this work? And we try to solve our situation on our own through reason. It never works. Maybe like the disciples, we try to talk it over with someone else with the hope that someone else can tell us what to do because we have no idea. Why is this happening to me? What am I supposed to do? But our reasons and our conversations and our logic and our talking never seems to make a difference. And too often it's our questioning and our trying to reason and trying to solve our problems on our own that pulls us out of our faith in God. It's almost like we're like, you know what, God, like you've kind of had your chance trying to solve this issue. Like I've given it to you and you haven't really done anything. So I'm actually going to take back the reins because you kind of made a mess of things. So I'm going to try to do it on my own. I'm going to try to figure it out on my own. I'm going to try to work on it on my own with the hope that I can somehow pull myself out of the discouragement I found myself in. That's what we tend to do. But that's not God's desire for us. I remember when I was a kid, I used to ride my bike like all the time. And when I was a kid, we used to live in a parsonage, so we were right next to the church. And so many, many days were spent of me just riding my bike around the church. Like I must have like rode a groove into the sidewalk around the church because I would just go around and around and around. I remember a common issue I ran into when riding my bike around the church was that the chain on my bike would fall off, okay? So the chain would fall off. That happened all the time. And I remember one day specifically, the chain fell off and I, and I kind of bent down and I was trying to figure out how to get it back on the chain, I crouched over and I was like really trying to work it back on there and I ended up getting grease like all over my hands and all over my clothes and like all over my face somehow and it, it, there was grease everywhere. And I just could not get this chain back on the bike. And here I was, I was bent over, slaving away, sweating, trying to figure out how to get this chain back on the bike, trying to solve it on my own and I could not figure it out. And all the time, I knew that my dad was just sitting right inside the church in his office studying and I could have just walked in there so I did. So 
I put down the bike, I went back, and I went to the church, I walked in this office, and I'm just covered in grease, and he kind of just looks at me and shakes his head. And then he comes out, and within 30 seconds, the chain is back on the bike. You see, so many times when we encounter discouragement and disappointment, when we encounter these difficult times, and we try to figure out a way, we try to figure our own way out of it. We get down on our knees, and we try to work our situation. We try to figure it out on our own. We try to replace the chain on our situation. We take control. We try to do it on our own, and we try to reason ourselves out to find some hope in our situation. But it never, ever seems to work. When the fact of the matter is, God is just right inside the door, waiting to be asked to help. So that's the first thing we do when we're discouraged. We tend to reason. The second thing we do is that we fail to recognize God in the midst of our discouragement. Look at verse 15. While they were walking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? So here Jesus appears to his disciples and they fail to recognize him. They're his disciples. They've probably followed him for a long time. They've seen him. They've listened to his teaching. They, would, they may have even been there at the crucifixion. They may have been there when he was buried. But they fail to recognize Jesus in this crucial moment when they're sad and discouraged. And it's unclear of why exactly this is. Some people think that maybe God kind of shielded them until the right moment for Christ to be revealed, or maybe even Jesus was wearing a disguise or something like that. We just don't know. But the fact of the matter is that they were discouraged and they failed to recognize Jesus who was standing right beside them. And I, as I thought about the disciples in this passage, I couldn't help but think that too often we do the exact same thing. We are so quick at failing to recognize God in our times of discouragement. When things aren't going our way, we tend to forget that God is still at work. You see, it's in the good times that it's easy to see that God is at work in our lives, right? It's on the warm spring days, unlike this one. It's with the unexpected check. It's with the promotion. It's with the A on the test. It's with the job offer that we thank God because, God, you're working in my situation. You're blessing me. Everything's going right, great, God. I see you at work in my life. Thank you so much. And we see that, right? But it's in the bad times, when we lose our jobs, when we get laid off, when we can't pay the rent, when we fail the test, when we're hit with that unexpected diagnosis or the unexpected death of a loved one. It's in those difficult times that it makes it really, really hard to see how God is at work in the midst of our difficult circumstances. We, like the disciples, can't recognize when and where God is at work. But what we have to see that is sometimes it's when it's in that discouragement it's with that closed door that may be God just answering you no or maybe God's saying you know what not yet it may be that God's holding you out for something better and that means discouragement now but empowerment later down the road not only that but can I remind you this morning that when you are faced with discouragement and nothing seems to be going your way just because it doesn't make sense doesn't mean God is at, isn't at work 
God is at work in your situation. Don't let the fog of hardship and the, and, the, and, the, and the darkness of discouragement blind you from seeing how God is at work even now in the midst of your disappointment and your discouragement and your failure. We have to pray that God would open up our eyes to how he is at work even now. We have to pray that, you know, God, this is difficult and this is disappointing, but Lord, just show me how you're at work in my life right now. Show me how you're speaking to me. Show, your, show me how you're moving me. Show me how you're molding me in the midst of these difficult circumstances. God, show me how you are working in the midst of this difficult and disappointing, discouraging, sad situation because God is at work. We can't let disappointment blind us from how God is at work. We have to be able to recognize him. Not only do we tend to blind ourselves from how God is at work and not only do we tend to reason ourselves out of disappointment, but the bottom line is sometimes when we're discouraged, we lose hope. Look at what the disciples say in verse 18. Then one, of, then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are, the only one, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? And he asked them, what days? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was the prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this is now the third day since all these things had taken place. You see, it's easy to see from the disciples' response in this passage that they had lost all hope. Listen to these words. Listen to what he says. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. His words are in the past tense. We had hoped. They no longer had hope that Jesus would save him. They no longer had hope that the Messiah was going to come. They no longer had hope that Christ was going to restore and redeem Israel. Israel. They had hope, but now they hope no more. Hope was lost for these disciples that day. It was so easy for the disciples to have hope when they were following Jesus. I imagine that with every miracle that Jesus performed, their hope grew a little bit more. I imagine with that first miracle when Jesus turned water into wine, I imagine the disciples that were there, their hope began to flicker. They got excited. And when, when, when Jesus fed the 5,000, I, I imagine their hope grew a little bit more. And when he, when he healed lepers a little bit more, when he brought Lazarus back from the dead, I imagine that their hope grew even bigger and bigger. This must be the man we were waiting for. This is surely the Messiah. This has to be the guy that's going to redeem Israel once and for all. And their hope began to grow. But on the other hand, I think it's when things were getting difficult. I imagine with each difficult situation, their hope began to get squashed down. When Jesus kept talking about his death, I imagine that their hope began to shrivel. And when Jesus was arrested, arrested I imagine their hope began to shrink a little bit more. And when he was on trial, a little less hope. And when, with, with every whip that crossed his back, a little less hope. With every hammer that nailed the nail into his flesh, a little less hope. And when he finally breathed his last, their hope was a little bit less. And when he was buried and the, tomb was rolled, the, the rock was rolled over the tomb, I imagine their hope was finally extinguished until we find them where they are in this passage, where they say, we had hoped this was the one who was going to redeem Israel, but now we have no hope. Sometimes I feel a lot like these disciples. Sometimes we all feel like these disciples. But many times our hope is not lost with just one event that discourages us. 
Many times it t- tends to be days, it tends to be weeks, it tends to be maybe even months or years, but it seems like it's like one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. Discouraging situation after disappointment, after failure, that tends to push us down and push us down, and finally, we finally lose hope. One of my favorite movies is Rocky. Has anybody seen Rocky? Some of you have seen Rocky. So one of my favorite movies is Rocky, and there's like six or seven movies, and some, and some people say, like, if you've seen one Rocky movie, you've seen them all, because the same thing happens in every single movie. But I still love them. And one of the reasons they say that, the same thing happens, like if you've seen one, you've seen them all, is because in almost every single movie, there comes a point when Rocky's in the ring, and he's boxing, and then he gets hit, and then he gets hit again, and he gets hit again, and with every punch, the person who's watching the movie, their hope begins to dim, like, go down over and a little bit more, like maybe Rocky's not gonna make it out of this one. Like maybe Rocky's not gonna win this match. And he gets hit again, he gets hit again, and then finally he gets hit and he, he falls onto the ground of the, uh, of the boxing ring. And then the, you're, as, when you're watching it, you're like, oh man, Rocky's, he's not gonna make it out of this one. He's on the ground, he's about to get, get knocked out. And then the referee comes by and he starts counting, right? And then with every number that he counts, you're like, oh man, Rocky's not gonna make it out of this one. But then inevitably, what does Rocky do? He gets back up. Every single time, Rocky gets back up. So I don't know why we even begin to lose hope. But I mention that. I mention that because I think that sometimes we feel a whole lot like Rocky in our everyday lives. There's some days and there's some months and there's some weeks and maybe even some years where it feels like we're met with one punch after the other after the other and it seems like everything's going wrong. We begin to lose hope because thing after thing after thing begins to tear us down. But the difference between us and the difference between and Rocky is that Rocky gets back up. And many times when we're hit with life over and over again, disappointment, failure, over and over and over again, many times we fall on the floor and we lose hope for good. We're done. We've lost all hope. Too many things have happened. We thought that God was going to work, but he clearly isn't. We thought God was going to help us, but I guess he's not. We thought God was going to save us, but I guess he's not. We had hope, but now we have lost all our hope. That's the things that we say and we stay on the floor of the ring. So many times when, we face, when we're faced with discouragement, we, like the disciples, tend to lose all hope. But now I wanna shift gears, and I wanna give you some hope this morning. Because these, what we started talking about at the beginning of this sermon was how do we tend to react in our times of discouragement? What do we tend to do? But now I wanna shift gears, and I wanna look at how, what God does in our times of discouragement, when we're broken down, when we're sad, when, we're, when we fail, when we're discouraged, what is God doing? And we're gonna look at this same passage and look, let's look at how God, what God does when he shows up on the scene. So let's look back at four, verse four, 15. The disciples are walking along, they're talking, they're discussing, they're trying to solve their problem by reason. Look what Jesus does, verse 15. While they were talking and discuss, discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. What does Jesus do in this passage? I believe that in our times of discouragement, we must look to God to draw near to us. It's while the disciples are walking along and they're trying to figure out what to do in their circumstances that they found themselves in. It's while they're trying to make sense of this disappointment, they're trying to make sense of what's going on. It's in the midst of their discouragement that Jesus draws near. It's when they hit rock bottom that Jesus comes close to them. It's when they don't know what else to do that Jesus comes to them in their time of need. Jesus draws near. And the same is true for us. It's usually in the midst of our difficult circumstances. It's in the midst of our our disappointment that we feel the most alone. We feel so lonely. 
It's when we're discouraged that we feel as if God is dead and buried in the tomb still. We get so lonely when we go through the trials of our life. But the good news I have for you this morning is that you are and you never will be alone. But instead, with each punch that comes your way, with each trial and circumstance and disappointment, with every attempt of the enemy, with every discouraging situation, God is drawing nearer and nearer and nearer to you in the midst of your trials and your circumstances. He never left you alone. But it's when we're going through the fire that he draws near to us and he pours his comfort and his peace and his spirit and his joy out upon us. We should find hope in the truth that God draws near to us in the midst of our trying circumstances. As I thought about this idea of how God draws near to us, I thought about my niece Chloe. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, Chloe's only a year old and you're already using her in sermon illustrations. But in, in my eyes, whenever she was born and her last name was Roger, she was fair game. So here we go. <clears throat> so Chloe's one year old, so she's beginning to walk. And as she's beginning to walk, her mom is kind of letting her explore a little bit more, go off on her own in the, in the house and be able to walk around and kind of see what's going on. But one thing I begin to notice is that even while Chloe is walking around, Nicole, my sister-in-law, she's never, she's always looking at where Chloe is. She always has her eyes on Chloe. And even more than that, since Chloe's beginning to walk, Many times she falls over, she topples, or maybe she hits her head. But the moment that she falls over, before she even begins to cry, Nicole is already there and picking up Chloe, and she's already there to offer comfort and support to Chloe when she falls over. And as I thought about that, I thought about the same is true for us. It's when we fall and when we trip and when we fail and when we're discouraged, our first instinct is to let the loneliness set in. But we have to look up. We have to look up in the midst of our circumstance and realize that God had never left us. Just how Nicole always has her clothes, her, her eyes on Chloe, God always has his eyes on you. We are never alone. We have to realize that God never left us. It's when we fall that Jesus draws near to us and he picks us up and he offers us comfort and peace and joy in the midst of our difficult circumstances. God draws near to us. Not only does God draw near to us, but in times of discouragement, we must look to God to abide with us. So here the disciples are. They're talking with Jesus. They're still discouraged. They say, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. And look at how Jesus responds to them. When they say that, verse 25, then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. Because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. So here are the disciples. They finally arrive at the village with Jesus, to which they were traveling. And the disciples stop. They stop. And Jesus goes on. He's walking away. And what do the disciples do? They strongly urge them, like, Jesus, stay with us. Come back. No, please, come in. Stay with us. The disciples were adamant I have to believe that it's when they were walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus drew near, is when they began to feel something. It was when they were walking down the road and they were discouraged and disheartened and Jesus came on the scene, he must have made a difference in their lives. Jesus changed something because when they stopped in this village, they couldn't let him go. 
something must have happened when they were walking because when Jesus walked on, they screamed out to him and said, please stay with us, please abide with us. They didn't want him to go. In fact, it was in the midst of their discouragement that they wanted Jesus instead to come in. They invited him in to abide with them. You see, what this verse tells us is that when we invite God in, when we invite Jesus into our lives, when we invite him into the discouraging circumstances in which we find ourselves, Jesus abides with us. Jesus comes in. Jesus makes himself at home. Jesus comes into our lives and in our situations, and he stays there. He lives there. And what the disciples realize that is that in the midst of the, their discouraging circumstances, Jesus makes a difference. Too often, we're, when we're discouraged, our tendency can be to push God away. We try to hunker down and just face our circumstance on our own and do it our way and do our own thing. But instead, we should be doing what the disciples are doing in this passage. We should be saying, Lord Jesus, please just come. Lord Jesus, please just stay with me in the midst of my circumstance. Make yourself at home. Come into my discouraging situation. Come into my trials, Lord, and do what you do best. Abide with me, God. Make a difference in this situation. When we go through difficult circumstances, Jesus' desire is to come in and to abide with us in the midst. But we have to invite him in. We have to invite him in. And that's when he can finally make a difference in the midst of the difficult and discouraging situations that we face. I remember when I was at Treveca, I lived with my roommate Brady, and we had an apartment that was there on campus. And you may or may not know, but when two college guys share an apartment, things get pretty rank really fast, okay? It gets pretty gross, it gets pretty stinky in that apartment really, really quickly. Um, But like, you just kind of ignore it because home is where the heart is, so you kind of just like, it's home, so you just kind of ignore it, you get used to it. You get used to that like, the, the dirty sock that's in the sink and the spoiled milk that's in the corner. You just get used to it all, okay? <clears throat> I remember one week, though, my mom and my dad, they came and they were going to visit um, us while we were down in Nashville. And so my mom and dad came and, and they knocked on the door and I, I answered the door and I like opened it up for them and said, hey, good, good to see you, so glad you're here, come on in. And I remember my mom's face <laughs> when she walked into my apartment for the first time and she kind of like sniffed and she was kind of like, and she's like looking around like all judgmental, but she doesn't say anything. She's like, oh, so glad to see you. It's like, so good to be down here. And then it's like really, she's just looking at everything and how gross it is. And I'm like, okay, well, come in. Welcome to my apartment. So glad you're here. Have a seat. Uh, yeah, just move that stinky sock away. It's fine. Have a seat. And then I'm like, well, I have to go to class. I just have this one class left today. Um, so I'm going to go to class. It's going to be about an hour. But after I get out of class, I'll come back and we can go out to eat. So I just have this one class. So I leave them, I leave and I go to my class and it takes about an hour and then I come back home, I come back to my apartment and I get out my key and I unlock the door and I open it. I have to like take a double take because I'm like, this is not my apartment. And I like step out and I look at like the door and I'm like, yeah, this is my apartment. I walk in and it kind of smells weird. Like it smells like clean laundry and it smells like apple pie and like things are all shiny and clean and something just doesn't look right. So I walk in and I was like, what happened to this place? And I'd come to find out, while I was in class for that, at that hour, my mom had cleaned our entire apartment. You see, when I invited my mom down to Treveca and I invited my mom to come and stay with us in my apartment, she made a difference. Things changed for the better in our apartment. When my mom came in and abided with us, things got brighter, things got a whole lot, whole, whole, whole lot cleaner. And the same is true for us. When we're in the midst of our discouragement and our, and our difficult situations, 
God will abide with us if we simply invite him in. And just like how when I invited my mom in and she made a difference in my apartment, when we invite God into our difficult situations, he always, always makes a difference. Not only does God draw near to us and abide with us in our difficult circumstances, but we also must look to God to reveal himself to us. Look at verse 30, it says this. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road? While he was opening the scriptures to us. That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made to known to them in the breaking of the bread. So here, finally, the disciples realize who Jesus is. Their eyes are open, and they finally recognize him. It was when Jesus did what he did at the Last Supper, and he broke the bread, and he blessed it, that they finally realized that Jesus was Jesus. And they kind of be, you can kind of tell from the verse that they're kind of kicking themselves. They're kind of like, how are we so stupid? Like, how did we not see that this was Jesus? Like, it was so clear Jesus was with us the whole time. Look what they said. They said, were not our hearts burning within us when we were walking on the road? They hadn't realized it until now, but it was when Jesus shows up on the scene that they, their, their heavy and overladen, discouraged hearts were replaced with warm, burning hearts of comfort and peace. They were no longer discouraged, but they were instead warmed by the comfort of God. Their hearts were warm because Jesus showed up on the scene. They were no longer discouraged because Jesus had come near and Jesus had abided with them, but they hadn't recognized it until now. I think that too easily the same thing can happen to us. We get so caught up in our situation, we get so distracted by what's going on in our life, our difficult circumstances, that we forget that Jesus is standing on the side of the road waiting for us to beckon him. We fail to recognize that his nearness and his readiness is right there available for us in the midst of our trials. But what scripture shows us in this passage is that if that we call out to Jesus and we invite him into the darkness of our lives, into the hurt, into the pain, we bring him into our disappointments and bring him into the sadness and our heartache, if we invite him into our discouragement, Christ will make a difference in that. This Jesus who just died three days earlier is so powerful, so miraculous, so faithful that he rose from the dead and now walks amongst his disciples. It is that same resurrection power of Christ that was at work in opening the eyes of the disciples to how God was at work. And it's that same resurrection power of Christ that we invite into our discouraging circumstances. It's that resurrection power that we invite into the difficult situations that are in our lives. It's when we quit looking at our circumstances, we quit looking at the pain, quit looking at the equations that just don't fit and don't add up, quit looking at the reasons why, quit looking to kind of figure it out on our own, and quit looking at the hopelessness of our situation, and we instead look at Christ and we invite him into our situation to stay. And that resurrection power of Christ begins to be at work. That great power that rose a dead man to life. It is the power of God that God wants to use to work in and through your discouraging situations. But we have to quit looking at the impossibility. We have to fix our gaze upon Christ. We have to pray that God would open up our eyes to know and to see how he is at work, even in the midst of the difficult circumstances we find ourselves in. 
We have to pray and ask that God would draw near to us, that he would abide with us in the midst of a life that seems like it's just one punch after the other, after the other. I read a story recently, and I don't know if it's true in the sense that like it actually historically happened, but I know that it's true for us today, so I'm going to tell it anyways, but don't, don't take it too literally. <clears throat> so the story goes, it's about Martin Luther. And Martin Luther, as you know, is the um, founder of the Protestant movement. And the story goes like this. Martin Luther grew very, very discouraged. He went through a period of his life where he was discouraged, he was depressed, he was just um, overladen with sadness. And his friends tried to help Martin Luther out, so they said, you know what, Martin, why don't you go out and you go, go on a vacation? Maybe that'll help. Go on a vacation, go to a beach somewhere, maybe that'll help you with the sadness that you're feeling. And when you come back, you'll feel refreshed and you'll be better. So... Martin Luther did what they said. He went on a vacation and he came back and he was still just so sad and so, so, so discouraged. And it didn't really seem to, sol- to solve the disappointing mood that he found himself in. So he returned home, continued in his discouragement. And so one day he kind of trudged to the sitting room of his house. And it's when he enters that room, he sees his wife and she's sitting in a chair. And his wife is completely dressed in all black. She was wearing like the clothes that you would wear to a funeral. And he looks at her and he, he asks her, he's like, why are you dressed like that? Like, who, who passed away? Why are you dressed like that? And she looked at him and she says, have you not heard? She's like, have you, have you not heard this? She says, God is dead. She said, my husband, Martin Luther, would never act in such a way if he had a living God to trust to. That's why the disciples were so discouraged at the beginning of this passage. That's where they, they were convinced that God had died. They had no hope because the Messiah had died on the cross. That's why they were so discouraged. And so many times we do the same thing. We leave our faith in the tomb with Christ. In our most difficult and trying circumstances, we act as if our story ended last Friday, as if Jesus died on the cross. We act as if, we act as if Sunday never happened. We too easily forget that we serve a living God who wants to draw near to us, who wants to abide with us and offer us comfort, who wants to offer us peace. We forget that we serve a living God who is at work in our situations, whether we recognize it or not. We cannot act as if Jesus is still dead in the tomb because we look to a living God today. And he wants to work that resurrection power into the most broken, into the most messed up, into the most Um, discouraging situations we find ourselves in. But we have to call out to him. We have to invite him into these discouraging circumstances and pray that he would open our eyes to how he's been at work. And I don't know where you are this morning, but I sense that there's people here this morning who are discouraged. I, I sense this morning that there are people here who feel like life is hitting them one punch at a time. They feel like they're getting hit over and over and over again, and they feel like giving up. They feel like they should just lay down on the mat and give up. Maybe you've been trying to like reason your way out of your situation. You've been trying to figure it out on your own. It's keeping you up at night because you keep on trying to figure out how am I going to get out of this? It just doesn't add up, and you're just trying to some, find some semblance of hope in your situation. Maybe you've been trudging through these circumstances and, it, and, the, and your circumstances just feel just void of God and that no matter where you look, it seems as if God has abandoned you. Maybe you feel completely and utterly hopeless 
Maybe to use it, it seems as if Jesus is still in the tomb and Easter Sunday never happened. Can I remind you this morning, there is hope. There is a great and powerful hope for you this morning. And Pastor Nathan and, and Brandon are gonna come and they're just gonna sing a song. And I just encourage you this morning, if that sounds a whole lot like you, if you're discouraged this morning and nothing seems to be going the way you thought, will you come forward this morning and come to these altars and pray and let us pray with you? If you're discouraged this morning and nothing seems to be going right, will you come and approach God's throne and feel him just draw near to you? If you're discouraged this morning, will you invite God into the disappointment of your life, invite him into the discouraging circumstances and invite him into the hardships of your life, the failure, the hurt, and your pain. Invite Jesus into those circumstances and let him make a difference. Will you come, will you come this morning and allow Jesus to come and abide with you in the midst of your situation? Will you invite him in? And finally, will you come to this, these altars this morning and allow God to reveal himself to you in a new and a powerful way. Allow God to reveal to you how he's at work, what he's doing. Allow him to reveal to you how he's at work in a discouraging situation that just doesn't make sense. Allow him to use that resurrection power to work in your discouraging situation. Will you come this morning and allow him to replace that overladen, heavy heart with a heart that's warmth is the comfort of God. Will you look away from the discouragement and, and the sadness and the disappointment and instead look up to a living God who draws near to you and abides with you and wants to comfort you this morning? If that sounds like you, while Nathan sings, will you come forward this morning?